The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. We will talk about why the Aaron Rodgers hate is misguided. We'll have fallout from the Packer injury news. Where does Green Bay go from here? And then we will talk about why the Bucs shouldn't be worried about the Atlanta Hawks, even though they lost tonight. The dream has died. Uh, and then lastly, we will do Chuck's Corner on explaining LeBron's lies. I have a perfect explanation for this, and I'm excited to share it. I have a theory. I, I weirdly just came up with it. I'm not even a huge LeBron guy. I really don't care too much about the story, but... When you get a good theory, you, you got to get it out on paper, right? So we're, that's what we're going to do, except in podcast form. Before we get going, you guys know where to find us. Tapping the Keg on Twitter. Tapping Keg Sports on Instagram as well as TikTok. We can also be found on Facebook at Tapping the Keg Sports. Make sure that you are hitting that subscribe button if you aren't already. If you are subscribed, what you could do is leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. We would really appreciate that. Or if you are too shy, you don't want to put your name out there, just share it with your friends. Tell people about our podcast. Tell people what we have going here. I think it's a lot of fun. I think you have a good time with it. Um, I would really appreciate it. All right, let's talk about the Aaron Rodgers hate and why I think it's misguided. Aaron Rodgers is enemy number one for Green Bay Packer fans. It is 2018 all over again, right? It is a repeat performance, but this time it is a little bit different because Mike McCarthy is not the head coach who was the punching bag that everybody took their emotions out on. The coach has not reached a status where people look at him like people do they did McCarthy back in 2018, right? McCarthy had won a Super Bowl eight years prior and McCarthy had a lot of blunders going forward and the Rodgers-McCarthy relationship had torn apart and everyone was siding with Aaron Rodgers at that time because people believed that Aaron Rodgers could come back to life. And he did that with Matt LaFleur in 2020 and 2021 with Jordan Love hot on his heels. Now, it is fair to wonder if Aaron Rodgers rested on those laurels a little bit, that Aaron Rodgers got comfortable similarly to what happened with the Packers in 2017 and 2018 when they were starting to tear Aaron Rodgers down. 2019 was sort of the beginning of the rebuild, if you will, and they added Jordan Love because they weren't convinced that Aaron Rodgers was going to be the guy anymore. And then Aaron Rodgers obviously proved them wrong and played with the chip on his shoulder. But after he signed that big deal, the chip was gone, right? Aaron Rodgers was the basically the guy until, the, until he said so or the Packers said otherwise. Yes, there's an out in 2024, but still there would be massive cap ramifications. So there's a lot of Packer fans right now that look at this and feel like we are fucked because the deal that the Packers made is a bad one and that will set this franchise back. I want everybody to take a step back from that take because it is one bad year, all right? There are teams who have awful years and bounce right back. Baltimore Ravens is a great example, right? They had everybody hurt last year. Lamar missed time. The Ravens still went 9-8, and eight, but they missed the playoffs. They were fourth in the NFC North. I watched that Ravens team the last two games, Tampa Bay and New Orleans, Grand NFC South. I understand that. But the, the Ravens look really fucking good. The Ravens, to me, 
are definitely the third best team in the AFC. And you could make a case that the Ravens might be the third best team in the NFL. The AFC is so much better than the NFC. This is like old school NBA, where the NBA Western Conference is so much better than the NBA Eastern Conference. And the Ravens, Bills, and Chiefs, it's going to be a duel to the end. And that's just touching the tip of the iceberg with the AFC. But I digress. You can have a bad year and bounce back. Aaron Rodgers can look in the mirror and say, I was terrible this year and needs to recalibrate what he did wrong. There were a lot of assumptions made about this Green Bay Packer team from everybody. Matt LaFleur, Brian Gunacoust, Aaron Rodgers, Mark Murphy, and they were all fucking wrong, all right? Aaron Rodgers assumed that he could waltz in, not play preseason, not do OTAs, and be the same guy that he's been forever and ever. That didn't work. Matt LaFleur assumed that Aaron Rodgers would not try to play hero ball, run the football, and do the things that have been discussed and understand that Aaron Jones is that guy. Aaron Aaron Rodgers didn't exactly listen to that. Also, Matt LaFleur has not been able to necessarily handle adversity. And he knew what adversity might be, but he never felt it as a head coach. And Matt LaFleur got punched in the mouth. And it doesn't really feel like Matt LaFleur has been able to get up from said punch. If he was, the Packers would have won a football game in the last few weeks. You look at Todd Bowles and Tampa Bay, right? Tampa Bay, was, it was an ugly game. It was awful football. But Tampa Bay found a way to win that game at the end. You look at Tennessee, right? That drove me crazy. Oh, pardon me. That drove me crazy. Watching Tennessee play on Sunday night was infuriating. Why was it infuriating? Because the, the football was back in the 50s. No, it was because Tennessee gave a damn. They were playing with Malik Willis, who who does not deserve to be out on the field. But that motherfucker, Mike Vrabel, had everybody ready. Had everybody ready to go. The Titans are not as talented as the Green Bay Packers. But the Titans have everybody who's bought in. Everybody who has one heartbeat. That's what the Tennessee Titans are. And the Green Bay Packers have 100 heartbeats. And it's again, it's not just Aaron Rodgers. But it's the head of the snake. It's the quarterback. It's the guy you have all that money to. So everybody's going to dogpile on that. But I think we have to understand that we are in this situation for the next year and a half. Or, yeah, year and a half, right? This year and then next year. You have to deal with it. You have to come at, you have to basically figure out a way to understand this might be a little bit of a different era of the Packers. This could be the overpaid Rodgers era, but Green Bay could work with the cap, figure out ways to make moves and to get Green Bay back to prominence and get one more run at it. Brian Gunacoust, we talk about assumptions. He assumed that he could create this defensive juggernaut and basically have late stage Peyton Manning as his quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. That was completely wrong. Brian Gunacus gave Aaron Rodgers no weapons. He said, all right, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, we're going to draft two wide receivers in the first four rounds, and that those are Aaron Rodgers' options. Oh, yeah, we have Randall Cobb, who had I thought had a good year before he got hurt, but that's always been the thing with Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb is if he stays healthy. That's the type of guy Randall Cobb is. He's an if he, if he stays healthy all-star. 
Sammy Watkins shouldn't be on a fucking NFL roster. It's an absolute joke that Brian Gunacus thought that Sammy Watkins had anything left in a tank. Sammy Watkins is still not on the same page with Aaron Rodgers. I understand that he was hurt for a couple of weeks, but that is in-fucking-excusable. It's not like Sammy Watkins is a Sean Watson, or a Sean Jackson, pardon me, uh, who basically joined the Ravens the last two weeks. Like, if you're having issues communicating in two weeks' notice, yeah, I get that. I, I have a longer leash for that. I have no leash for Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins should be off this team. And I understand they do not have a lot of receivers. I do not give a fuck. And so some of the, the frustration, right, with Aaron Rodgers should be guided towards other people. How about the fact that Carlos Dunlap has big play after big play in the Kansas City-Tennessee game. Justin Houston has six and a half sacks for Baltimore in the last three games. Both those guys could have been had for edge depth. Veteran leadership, all that other bullshit. And the Packers just sat on their goddamn hands. The more I think about it, the more that I stew with it, the more angry that I am at this season, the, the hate should be at Brian Gunacoust. How how did Brian and Matt Mark Murphy and Matt LaFleur not sit in a room and say, hey, we need to keep Luke Getze? I understand our offensive line has been great. But we have great offensive linemen here. We drafted offensive linemen really well. These are all Packer products. Let's have a new offensive line coach and Luke will stay on as the offensive coordinator. How is that not determined? How is the fact that the Packers didn't have any sort of plan with Devontae Adams? And I understand that A.J. Brown and the Eagles thing seemed like a done deal from go. Like they had that deal worked out for a while. Doesn't mean that Brian Gunnikus couldn't have called about A.J. Brown, saw what A.J. Brown's availability was. Could you imagine the Packers with A.J. Brown right now? Are the Packers 3-6 and six with A.J. Brown? I mean, if we just ask that straight up, are the Packers 3-6 and six with A.J. Brown? I don't think so. I think the Packers, with a guy like A.J. Brown, probably have two more wins, right? They don't lose against Detroit. They don't lose against Washington. I think there you go, right there. You're back to 5-5. and would that be five and five, right? So, or no, sorry, excuse me, five and four. So I, I think, yeah, five and four probably. Uh, you could make a case for the Jets game too, even though the Jets thing got out of hand. I still think there there might have been an opportunity there. The Giants game for sure, right? So there are so many examples where if Green Bay had that go-to guy, he could have been it. Again, another assumption, whether it's Gunacoust, Rodgers, anyone else, that Alan Lazard could be a number one guy. I like Alan Lazard, all right? I think Alan Lazard's a really good football player. Alan Lazard's not a number one in the NFL. If you compare Alan Lazard to Tyreek Hill, that's like comparing uh, Sidney Sweeney to your normal Wisconsin five, right? Like that's basically what we're looking at here, okay? And I, I, again, I like Alan Lazard, good guy, really awesome relationship with Aaron Rodgers, but he is not a number one. He makes a couple good catches, but he also has some drops. Packers have had 18 drops this year. I just, it's all stunning to me. And that's why I look at all this and I lay out all the fucking things wrong with this team. Packers also have had six offensive line combinations too, by the way. That's, a, I just add the case and say, everyone wants the dog pile on Aaron Rodgers. And there's so many more problems. There are so many more leaks 
Aaron Rodgers might be one floor of the sinking ship, and there might be a ton of water there. But there is water on every fucking level of this goddamn boat. None of it you can feel good about right now. I don't know, maybe Pat O'Donnell at the punter position you feel good. But with the injury stuff, which we're going to talk about here shortly, how can anyone feel okay about where the Packers are? That said, because I'm a psycho and because this is how I I fan as a, a sports fan, I still believe they could turn the corner and figure it out. You have two home games in the next week. Yes, they're hard opponents, but it's Lambeau Field. Lambeau Field can be a magical place. All of a sudden, you're five and six. You're facing an Eagles team that's going to have the pressure of being undefeated. An Eagles team that, if you talk to some people, just normal football fans, no one believes in the Eagles. The Eagles fans believe in the Eagles, but everybody sees the Eagles as a paper tiger. They're no different than the Minnesota Vikings, who I think are going to smack in the mouth by the Buffalo Bills, barring that Josh Allen plays. You never know, man. And I, and I said it to Mitch on the podcast last week. It would be the most Packer thing ever to lose to Detroit and then win out for November. And then all of a sudden, it's 6-6 six and six and it's go, fuck, it's go time. And maybe Minnesota has dropped a couple games. And all of a sudden, if Minnesota continues to drop games, the Packers slide in. Now that's fantasy world. Now that's dreamy, right? I'm taking it a game at a time. I look at Dallas and I say, all right, it's Dallas time. We will see where, how the chips fall there. It's not going to be easy. Um, it's definitely one of the more challenging games for the Green Bay Packers. They'll have to figure out that pass rush. They have to have David Bakhtiari healthy and Elton Jenkins for that matter. John Runyon, hopefully. I would imagine all three will show up on the injury report. They all need to be out there. This, the Packers do need to play the game of their life. And I think Dallas fires them up. I know J. Ron Kerr said, we want to win this for Mike McCarthy. And that's great. And they should. And we're going to do a McCarthy topic. Probably with Mitch. I think that's a, probably a good topic with Mitch to talk about McCarthy. And just his legacy, who he is, and just all that. I think that's an awesome Tabby the Keg podcast topic. So look forward to that. We're actually taping tomorrow. So we'll, uh, we'll have that McCarthy topic for you. But I just, it's, it's time. It has been time. And there were things to like about that Lions game. They pushed the ball. They moved the ball down the field. It just did not result in any points, unfortunately. And I, I guess my advice to those who hate Aaron Rodgers or are done with Aaron Rodgers, I, I would give two things. And again, I, I explain how I fan. I'm, I'm really not trying to gatekeep fandom because I hate it. I hate when people do that. But I would just say, if, number one, like play out this. See, let's see what this week looks like, right? If they play Dallas and Tennessee, and they have two straight losses, Jordan Love will automatically be in there for ten days. They'll give him ten days to get comfortable, get ready to go, play against Philadelphia. They'll blame the thumb injury, and then away we go with Jordan Love. If they go one and one, like let's say they galvanize, beat Dallas only to lose to Tennessee, and then they find themselves four and seven. Probably it could be Jordan Love time. Like, I think there would be that. But calling for Jordan Love consistently and just putting everything on Aaron Rodgers is not going to get it done. Aaron Rodgers deserves a big pie of the blame. Aaron Rodgers has a lot of faults. Aaron Rodgers has a lot of things to work on. 
at his old age. And he has looked and felt like the stubborn old man. And we'll see what he says to Pat McAfee. I would love it if he stopped doing that. It's not that I don't enjoy it. It's not that it helps me from a content perspective. But I would really like it if Aaron Rodgers shut the fuck up. Because it's time. No one, no one needs to hear from Aaron the rest of the year. Until things start getting better, Aaron Rodgers keeps digging himself in the holes. And holes that he doesn't care about. But the fans care about it. And more fans are pouring down the dirt. So I would say give it a week. See what happens. If Aaron Rodgers is still out there at 3-8, and eight, I might join you all. Because that makes no sense. At that point, you need to see Jordan Love. You need to see what Jordan Love is made of. It's a perfect opportunity to have Love. If you're really going to wait all the way to the fucking bye so Aaron Rodgers can play the Bears and get another scalp. I realize that's an inappropriate statement, but still, it's, it's kind of how it is. Like if that's exactly is that if that's exactly what we're looking for here, then I'm gonna be I'm gonna be upset. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like I'm gonna look at that as selfish, and look at that as a real opportunity for Aaron Rodgers to be a leader and take a step back and kind of work on relationships and figure out these these guys, this new group of players, and not be another version of Favre. I still believe, and I will just this is the last thing I'll say. If you are worried about the Packers all of a sudden getting hot and losing out on a top 10 draft pick, respectfully, delete your fucking fandom, okay? Like, don't be a fan. That's loser talk. We are not a loser franchise. We are a winning franchise. Shut the fuck up. Do not, I do not want to hear one fucking person say that to me. I will fly off the goddamn handle. We want to win. And if you don't want to win, I don't want to associate with you. All right? Like, straight up. That's it. Yes, could a top pick help us? Sure. It would, it would be beneficial to the Packers. But at the same time, I don't want to have that conversation until December. I don't want to have it till the nail is in the goddamn coffin. And even if Jordan Love goes out there and it's three and seven, Jordan Love lights it up and the Packers are... You know, somewhere in the mix of, you know, 8 and 9 or 9 and 8 even or 7 and 10. I'm going to be okay with that. And I think there will be fans who won't. And again, that's loser talk. But I hope that I've convinced you that it's not just Aaron Rodgers that you should hate. You should hate a lot of things about this. And hopefully all those holes in the boat get patched up and figured out for the Dallas Cowboys. Moving on to the injury fallout from the game on Sunday. Sean Gary has a torn ACL. Uh, they think Eric Stokes has a significant injury. Romeo Dobbs has a high ankle sprain. He'll be out four to six weeks. It's likely that you'll have Dobbs and Cobb basically flipping spots. I believe Cobb can come off, come off the IR this week, right? Because you had the Washington game. It's bad radio. Washington, Buffalo, Detroit, oh, because he got hurt in the Jets game, right? Yeah. So no, he can't come off for Dallas. That sucks. So uh, he'll have to come off for the Tennessee game. So the Packers are going to be needing a receiver. You already heard my thoughts on Sammy Watkins. Um, it's not great. And so I, I'm curious if what they do. And I'm curious if they, you know, obviously Juwan Winfrey's a no-brainer, but do they go and get somebody else? Do they go and find another receiver off the streets to kind of make something happen? just given how bad Watkins has been. And then you have the Rashawn Gary piece. 
And Rashawn Gary out for the year is absolutely brutal. The Packers have lost five Pro Bowl-style players, uh, as Dayton Carriger pointed out. Gary didn't make the Pro Bowl to ACL injuries in the last three years. You should fire the entire strength and conditioning team. They should not have jobs. That should be the first move to make. Not necessarily firing Joe Barry, but firing those guys who have hurt Pack, who, helped, who haven't helped Packer players. I shouldn't say. I shouldn't say they hurt them. You know, football happens, but they haven't done enough to keep these guys' knees healthy and lead to these serious injuries. So Rashawn Gary being hurt is a real issue. You know, we mentioned Dunlap and Justin Houston earlier. Both would be very nice to have. Right now, it's Preston Smith, Kingsley, and Bargay and Jonathan Garvin. That's it. I would imagine they try to get an edge rusher off a practice squad, try to add somebody. Uh, Mitch did ran those numbers in a, in, a pod, or in a chat today, and Parnell McPhee stood out. Uh, Tack McKinsley, McKinsley was another one. There were a few other names that hovered around there. So I would expect you have a move made by Green Bay to basically mitigate the Rashawn Gary absence. But it's going to be really hard for Green Bay to get the edge pressure they want. Uh, they want to get guys in one-on-ones and beat the one-on-one. And Rashawn Gary was doing a great job with it. Ingbari has had some moments, right? He's had some flashes. And I hope that those continue. I hope that it's not just sort of a flash in a pan or when you have more snaps, it, it kind of goes sideways. If he can be that complimentary piece to Preston Smith, that's going to be really something. That will help the Packers a lot. And it's not to say they can't, they, they need great, they need Gary. They still need Gary. Definitely still need Gary. But it will at least elevate it a little bit more and maybe mitigate some of those concerns. As for the corner position, Eric Stokes being potentially done for the year, uh, I think it's seamless in this because of the Rasul Douglas piece. Rasul Douglas goes out on the outside. It's him and Jair Alexander. And then you bring Keyshawn Nixon in as your slot corner, and away you go. Whether you tried Arnold Savage there, it's unknown, right? You need another safety. I know Rudy Ford was out there for some moments in the game last Sunday. But yes, I would like to see a little more on that Arnold Savage side and kind of rotate in with Keyshawn Nixon. But yeah, I'm not really worried about Stokes being hurt. Um, While it's a bad injury, and I hope he's healthy, and I hope that it's nothing that's really critical where it'll cause them to miss time next year. I look at it and say, okay, I, I think they're pretty good at this secondary position. There's still a little bit of depth. There's not a ton. I think that would be the only worry, right? What happens if Rasul Douglas gets hurt? That's, that's the scary one, right? Now you're down Stokes and, and Douglas, or you're down Stokes and Alexander. What happens then? So that's the, that's the worry. Um, and again, that goes back to what I was saying about Brian Gutekunst and depth, right? You know, no, no chance that we could have depth at any of the positions with veteran guys ready to go, right? There aren't 100 veteran corners that could easily fit in the system, or there aren't a bunch of linemen that could be a sixth lineman if needed. You know how important a guy like Dennis Kelly could have been to the Packers this year? It's like, it's so frustrating. It's so, so frustrating. But yes, they will have to figure out a way to make it without Rashawn Gary. Maybe they get Devondre Campbell back. But yeah, there's a real chance that defense on Sunday, it is Kensley Ingabare getting his first 
career start. Isaiah McDuffie or Chris Barnes in the middle. Rasul Douglas and Jair Alexander and Keyshawn Nixon. And yeah, I'm terrified of Dak. I will say that. I mean, we haven't really talked about Packers-Cowboys too much, but Dak with the zone is not good. Dak is really good against zone defense. I hope that Joe Barry knows this. I hope that Joe Barry has not downloaded like 100 OnlyFans accounts this week and is just paying attention to that. Like I, I really I really hope he's dialed in here and knows this, And but I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't. And again, we're looking for how Joe Barry would get fired. I, I think that if they were getting embarrassed on national TV, there might be a chance, but because of the Thursday game, probably would hold on, but then I think all bets are off after that Thursday game. And maybe that's what Matt LaFleur is waiting for. Um, he didn't make any significant changes yet in the Packer administration, although tomorrow is election day, so if they were trying to get some news out, they're trying to sneak some sneak a little thing here or there, I think that tomorrow would be the day to do it. So we'll see if there are any coaching changes or anything else from the Green Bay Packers. But yeah, the injury stuff has gotten worse. And now it's almost like one of those things where if it does go sideways, like a lot expect them to do, it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's the injuries, it's the quarterback, it's the coaching, it's the front office, it's the roster building. And those all contributed into the Packers, you know, not making the playoffs if that were the case. So we'll have to see what happens. And I think the Packers can do it without those guys. They've, they've done it in the past. 2010 is the best example of that, which is now getting, I don't know if it's getting to the point of 82 Brewers, but it's definitely, it's it's a it's approaching it, let's just say. I think once you get to year 15 and you haven't won a title, then then it gets to that where it's like, all right, man, we, we fucking get it. We understand, we understand what's going on here. So we'll see what happens with the Packers this week uh, from the injury side of things. Let's move on to something usually happier. We usually go, okay, talk about the Bucks, get all excited, get jazzed up. Not today. Uh, the Bucks lose their first game of the year. They lose 117-98. to 98. I did not touch this game from a gambling perspective. The Bucs were only a four-point favorite. I looked at that one and I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't. I didn't feel good about it. And there's just something that told me that maybe this was the time for the Bucs to lose. The Bucs had won nine straight games. It's really hard to stay undefeated in college, in any sport, really. Uh, but in the NBA, it's it's not something that gets done often. You know, the Warriors' 24-0 streak, broken by the Bucs, mind you is one of those more incredible streaks to start a season. And I don't think the Bucks were on that pace by any means. I think they started off hot in this game and they couldn't sort of hold it down, right? This is my whole point of why first quarters barely matter, is the Bucks were up, they were out in front, it looked good, and then the Hawks just slowly but surely creeped back. They did it with virtual unknowns in the NBA world, such as A.J. Griffin, who went to Duke, and you had Okanwu, who also had a big day, who has been a Giannis stopper. Um, you had some Jalen Johnson minutes. You had There's a lot going on. Deontay Murray had, had some moments, too. And I'm not worried about this team come May or June. Everyone can fall in love with what the Hawks bring out on a nightly basis, with Trey Young, with Deontay Murray, with John Collins, with Clint Capella, with Okanwu, like... 
I get the excitement around the Hawks. Like, I, there should be. And I think the Hawks will get a lot of palpable buzz in the next weeks as they're 7-3. and three. But I just do not think the Bucks have anything to worry about. I think when Trey Young's out there, it actually makes them worse against the Bucks. Now, is it for every team? Absolutely not, right? But when it comes to the Bucks, like, Trey, remember, Trey Young had 45 points, but he had on 32 shots. Like, it, it was not a crisp 40 for Trey Young. I, I wasn't one that I think he should hang up as a plaque in his wall. I don't know if he does that, but that seems like something he would do. And I just, I don't think the Hawks need Trey Young right now, honestly. Like, I, I maybe it's present in a moment, but I, I just think they can win without him because they have so many talented guys. And when Young's taking 30 to 35 shots a game, that's not going to help those talented guys elevate or show you the exact talent. I don't exactly know where those sort of points, you know, will get sucked up by Young. And I just think with Holiday and Carter play very good defense and frustrate Young, that the Bucs will be just fine. They'll see this Hawks team again a couple Mondays from now um, at the Pfizer Forum. That one, I don't know if it's for the tiebreaker. I don't know if they have another matchup with the Hawks, but that would be one that the Bucs would behoove to win. They've In the past, they didn't do it last year, but they've been really good when teams beat them. That's usually the the blowout game that's that's looming, right? So they will be out for blood in a couple of weeks. But yes, I I don't see Atlanta as a real threat. I, I know Conwoo's good, but for some reason, Nate McMillan can't play him 35 minutes a game. If they trade Capella, then I get a little little more nervous because Okonwu has done really well against Giannis. I, I don't know if I would go as far as calling him a Giannis stopper. Uh, I know maybe the national media would. I would go as far as to say that he he's really challenge he challenges Giannis better than anyone else in the league. And I think Giannis needs to work on watching that tape and seeing what he can do differently. How can he how can he sort of face up on other guys in the paint? How can he make sure that if he's going right at a convo that he knows how to do it so he can draw a foul and get him into foul trouble? Those are the type of things that have to be going through his mind right now. And I, I'm i not doubting this team at all. I'm not ready to write it off like, oh, one loss, the season's over. No, none of that shit. It's more just I, I know the Hawks have some pieces to be difficult. It's just they don't seem to want to put it all together. And that that's good for Bucks fans, right? And that's awesome for us. We'll, we'll take that any day of the week. All right, let's let's do some golden kegs. Why not? Let's let's do it. We have a little time. I was trying for shorter shows. Um, I, I still think I'm going to get there, so I, I'm not too worried about it. But if you're unfamiliar with golden kegs, we do them for the professional sports teams where we talk about their ratings based on the game. So three kegs means it's really good. One keg means it's really bad. We only do three for the box because of the limited amount of players. I will tell you guys that I do not think any player really deserves a three keg. Uh, you look at Giannis' stat line, he had 25 points on 20 shots. Holiday had 16 on 14 shots. I, I could give it to Giannis' dunk, right? Uh, he had a great dunk at the end of the third quarter. 
that could be a nominee, but I, I gotta give it to AJ Griffin. I mean, played played the game of his life, and he looked really comfortable doing it. I think there are people who are Duke fans. They're like, where did that AJ Griffin come from? Twenty four points off the bench. Griffin was a I think second round was he second round pick? No, it was for yeah, it was a first round pick. 16th overall by the Hawks, and he showed every bit of it. Uh, that's a huge component of what they might be able to do. I, Aaron Holiday got minutes, obviously, for Trey Young, but I wonder if that those minutes are going to go to A.J. Griffin going forward because uh, he was truly special in this game and definitely a three-keg winner. We don't usually cross streams, but we kind of had to for this. Two kegs will go to Bobby Portis. We, Bobby's been very popular in this segment. Uh, we did one for TikTok, and Bobby was a five-kegger. We did it for the whole weekend. Uh, Bobby, 11 points, 10 rebounds, only a minus four, did not have a – or had one turnover. Holiday was considered, but with, six, with eight turnovers, I just can't do it. Uh, eight turnovers is way too many for a point guard, uh, no matter what. So – I'll give it to Bobby Portis. Uh, Grayson Allen's first half maybe could also be part of it. It was red hot early um, and then kind of wiltered um, in the second. But yeah, I'll give it to Bobby, 11 and 10. I think that is his second straight double-double, uh, but he's been a machine, man, and he keeps it rolling. One keg to the turnovers. I I look at that, and that's just eight. We talked about this the last time they had 18 turnovers. But you just are not going to win many, many basketball games when you have – Nearly 20 turnovers. Uh, Drew and Giannis combined for 13 of those tw- of those 18. So that, that could fall on their shoulders too. Um, they just need to be better at the ball. They need to handle the ball better. That's what's going to win you games. Not necessarily, you know, dunks, three-pointers. I know I sound like a boomer here, but yeah, it's it's ugly. Uh, you could also give a one keg to the second-half shooting for the Bucs. I mean, they were, they were in this game. They were hanging around. They... they Ran out of steam, and I don't know. Maybe it was just too much basketball, and the Bucks' legs just finally sort of gave out on them. It, it kind of looked that way. And again, I'm not criticizing the effort at all. Uh, I just more, you can see when the sluggishness is starting to kind of set in, and that's it's kind of what I think happened with the Bucks, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but you know, the good thing about the NBA is you have a game pretty much right after it. So the Buck, the Bucks played. Wednesday night in Oklahoma City. Uh, we'll talk about that one after it happens. All right, let's do Chuck's Corner real quick and then ride out of here. So Chuck's Corner is where I kind of just shoot the shit. It can be about sports. It can be not about sports. But it is a little bit about sports. I want to talk about LeBron James and his last. So this thing's went viral the last couple of days. Where it's like, oh, my God, LeBron said he started listening to the Migos in 2010. They, their first mixtape didn't come out until 2011. LeBron's a liar. This is other lies that he's told. Like he, he thought Kobe, or he knew Kobe would score 81 in the game against the Raptors. So I have a couple of theories on this. Uh, number one is no one says no to LeBron. All right? No one says no to the king. He is the king for a reason. Uh, and I think he's walked on water. I don't think he's made any actual decisions in his life Maybe ever, right? So I think that's part of it. And you don't tell that guy, no. You have you have yes men all across America who just tell you yes when you needed to hear it. And you're like, oh, does this sound crazy? Yes. 
And he has more assistance than Jen Shaw, probably. Uh, so I look at that, and I, I think that's part of the reason. I think the other part of the reason is A, he's old. B, the guy has so much shit going on in his life. Do you think he can really remember when he started listening to the Migos? Like, come on. Like, let's just let's just kind of be real here. I'm not even a big LeBron guy. But it, it seems a little ridiculous to be like, okay, he didn't listen to the Migos in 2010 because they started in 2011. Like, what? Like, what do you want? Uh, so I, I just think Tate Brady has bad memory, and that's okay. And we all do, right? Uh, football, playing football all that years will affect the short-term memory a little bit. So I'm not exactly surprised. So yeah, I, I just had to get the theory off my head. I, I just think it really comes down to no one's told LeBron no. LeBron can say every line in the book and no one's going to push back. And that's number one. And then number two is, yeah, it's Tony Esman. And that's, that's just kind of how it goes. So yes, I look forward to seeing if LeBron can land the Suns, which make Suns-Lakers very awkward. Uh, but I'm sure, sure they'll figure it out. All right, I'm going to bounce. Uh, take care. Have a good one. Make sure that you've rated and reviewed. If you're not already subscribed, go and subscribe. Uh, also, hang out with us on social, Tabby the Keg Sports on Instagram and TikTok, Tabby the Keg on Twitter. Take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye.